If you work in an open office, you probably recognize this sound. The chit-chat of colleagues, someone's phone going off, constant computer notifications. Some of these sounds you'll hear a lot. Like, a lot. And for me, one of these notifications comes from a little app on my Mac called TextExpander. Text Expander is basically a nerdy little tool that automatically types things for me, things that I type often, like my email address or my phone number or even whole sentences or paragraphs. I just type a little shortcut, like maybe ADHQ, and then it types in my work address, phone number, everything. And every time I trigger one of these, it gives me this satisfying sound. So satisfying. It's sort of like a tiny little victory that I didn't have to type. It's very cool. It's like the coolest thing. Not, not dorky at all. A lot of these sounds are useful, but some might feel kind of intrusive. But they were all designed by someone. They all went through creative briefs and rounds of revisions, and then they were shipped to users. Just like design solutions you can see. And just like any other design, the first idea that hits the market isn't always the best idea. Back in October 2015, if you were shopping in the United States, you might have heard something like this. The U.S. was transitioning credit and debit cards away from magnetic strips, those black stripes along the back of your cards, over to chip cards. Chip cards are more secure, but they can't be read by older machines. So stores needed new machines, machines that made a sound like this. This is Wireframe, a podcast from Adobe and Gimlet Creative about good user experience design and how we shape technology to fit into our lives. I'm Koi Vin, principal designer at Adobe. On this episode of Wireframe, we're talking about sound in user experience and how to tackle sound as a design problem. There are more opportunities for designers to work with sound than ever before as our lives fill up with devices in our pockets, on our wrists, and maybe soon in our glasses. But that also means that our lives are filling up with more noise, like the one that Connor Moore made at the beginning of this episode. Connor is the founder of Seymour Sound, a sound design agency in Oakland, California. When he comes across those chip machines, Connor hears them as a designer and as a consumer. This happened one day when he visited a store in his neighborhood. Connor stopped in to pick up a bottle of wine, and as usual, he started chit-chatting with the owner. They're big Warriors fans, so I always uh, go in there and chat with them about the Warriors. I went to check out and I just noticed the, the card reader sound for some reason in that particular environment. It was that infamous <laughs> It just really cut through. And then I was like, wow, like that's crazy. You hear that all day? And he's like, yeah, man, it's it's pretty annoying, you know? And But I take it you remember to get your card. So would you consider that sound to be a success? It is a very harsh sound, right? But at the end of the day, all these sounds have to be effective. 
In this instance, yes, it does get your attention. But there's many other ways that we can go about doing that. Sound is a special form of touch. Sound kind of tickles our sensory system and our brain kind of in the way that the touch does. This is Susan Rogers. She's a professor of music production and engineering at Berklee College of Music. She thinks a lot about how sound affects the brain. Susan says that we like or detest a sound because of either our association with it or its attributes. Association is what hearing the sound triggers in our memory. Susan has an association that still haunts her to this day. The sound I despise is the sound of a ringing telephone. And that's due entirely to an association. The sound of a ringing telephone would interrupt my sleep. Susan used to work for a very famous, very prolific musician as a staff engineer. Our typical work days were... 20, 24 hours long, uh, 48 hours was not at all uncommon. After which, all Susan would want to do is sleep. But then her phone would ring. After three or four hours, and it would usually be him with that beautiful low voice he had. And he'd pick up the phone and he'd say, Susan, ready? I associate to this day the sound of a ringing telephone with the sound of being hauled off. My freedom has ended. So for Susan, the sound of a ringing telephone isn't the problem. It's the association. When she hears that phone ring, it triggers her memory of interrupted sleep. But the other reason the sound can be annoying is its attributes. That's the quality of the sound itself. So a simpler way to to describe it would be like comparing sounds to fabrics. An octave might be like satin or silk. You run your fingers over it, and it's smooth. But a minor second or major second interval, those low intervals, are similar to running your fingers over burlap or corduroy. We can perceive the roughness in our fingertips, and likewise we can perceive roughness in sounds. According to Susan, the card reader sound that Connor heard has a burlap quality. It's got an acoustic component of roughness, so that's a little bit dissonant and it's known to be annoying, uh, especially if it's really loud. It's very, very annoying. So immediately you're getting people stressed. But what if we could get people, rather than stress, what if we can get them stimulated and move to action? An action like ripping your card out of the reader to make that noise stop. Now, that's one way audio notifications can prompt a response. Another way would be to create a sound that's satisfying in its own right. And that's what we'll explore coming up after the break. This episode of Wireframe is brought to you by Adobe XD. The voice revolution isn't coming, it's already here. And XD is the only platform that allows you to create and prototype voice experiences. Just ask Brian Morrison. Voice is one of those things that I felt was very unattainable. It felt very far reaching. And then XD quickly brought it into a typical work stream. Brian is creative director at Wiley Publishing. You may know their educational book series, 
for dummies? Well, they also do online learning programs and mobile apps. And for this, they've been experimenting with XD voice functionality. It's enabled us to build really, really interesting and robust prototypes, design something almost to completion, put it on an Amazon Alexa device, and show that demo to get it major buy-in from stakeholders. And that's been very successful. You too can elevate your products with voice. Create experiences for voice assistant devices. Bring voice-enabled features to your mobile apps and websites. Add voice control to a car navigation system, create self-service kiosks, and much more. Take your users beyond the screen. Learn more at adobe.ly slash Gimlet. Welcome back. Today we're talking about how user experience designers work with sound. For a couple weeks, Connor Moore, our sound designer from the first half of the show, had been thinking about that terrible sound that the chip card machine in his local store made. And then one day, he got an email from the maker of a competing card reader, Clover, about a project. I was looking at different companies to work with at the time, just very interested in the space. And sure enough, it was kind of serendipitous, actually, that Clover reached out to me. Connor took the meeting and got the job to redesign Clover's sounds. And after that, he headed into his studio. We sent our producer Amy Standen to Connor's studio in Oakland to learn more about the work he did with Clover. Hello. Hi. Must be Amy. I am Connor. With Connor. Good, Good to, to meet you. you. Come on in. Hey, it's going great. Hey, Miles. Hey. Hey, Connor's studio is small, tidy, and crammed with instruments. There's a wall of guitars, there's a couple of keyboards, and he couldn't help but play some of these for us. C, D, E, F. The way Connor described it, Clover's challenge to him was to help change the behavior of their users without annoying them. For years, shoppers have been swiping their cards. But these new chip machines require you to insert your card, leave it in while it's being approved, and then take it out. For most people, this was very different. Add to that the regular stress of shopping. Imagine trying to learn how to use a chip machine in a crowded department store on Christmas Eve. And you can see how easy it would be for a shopper to forget their card. You kind of really need an annoying warning tone to remind you to take it out. But Connor didn't want to be annoying. According to Clover's creative brief, the company asked for... Smart, efficient. These are things they wanted to communicate to users. To achieve that, Connor broke down the warning tone into three parts. First, he started with a warm sound, one that feels familiar to our ears. Second, Connor added a digital mallet. This is a sound that's rough enough to grab our attention, but not disruptive enough to startle us. The point of this is like, hey, don't forget your card. You know, like seriously, don't forget your card. And the third sound adds some fullness to the warning tone. That's especially helpful in a noisy place, like the crowded store on Christmas Eve. And when you put it all together... It has a bit of urgency, but it's not overkill. Sound prompts us to move. Again, this is Susan Rogers, the professor of music production and engineering at Berklee College of Music. She says sound is effective at prompting action. 
and in part, uh, sounds prompt us to get the hell out of the way if it's something that we associate with danger. So that means there's a tightrope you have to walk when you're designing a sound. Those burlap sounds, repetitive, dissonant sounds, can drive people crazy. Things that we find annoying do ramp up our stress level. And in a high-stress situation, cognition is impaired. It's impaired because your body has released cortisol. And so your, your primary objective is to want to calm yourself down and to get away from danger. That cortisol spike is part of our evolutionary fight-or-flight response. And it's something for designers to consider as sound becomes a bigger and bigger part of our environment. Designers probably don't want their users to constantly be in a stressed-out state. So Susan proposes a different approach to thoughtfully guide users with sound. This gives users something familiar to latch on to. Design sounds that are these auditory icons are inviting us and perhaps prompting us to move in a certain way. It's like the lock sound on an iPhone. That sounds like a key being turned or it sounds like a lock being clicked. It's an auditory icon. It's representative of the action that you're taking. When an interface element looks or sounds like something in the real world, designers call it skeuomorphism. For example, when a button on your phone looks like a real button you might encounter on, say, a home appliance, that's skeuomorphic. It's a helpful technique to communicate how something works to users. When it's done right, it can be very effective. Users know exactly how to act without having a bunch of cortisol pumped into their bloodstream by an annoying sound. This is the approach Connor took to another sound he designed for Clover. The sound the machine makes when a user inserts their card. He was inspired by the satisfying click of the chest strap on his hiking backpack. Connor took that buckle metaphor and ran with it. So when you insert your card, you have this skeuomorphic sound, essentially, that I fully recorded in my studio. And then one day, after going back and forth with revisions and then delivering his designs to Clover... He heard his work in the wild. Connor walked to a cafe a couple minutes away from his studio for late morning coffee. And sure enough, they were using a clover machine. He took out his card, put it in the machine. Once the transaction was approved, he heard... The sound did what it was supposed to do. It reminded him to grab his card... But it didn't interrupt the conversation. It's always an exciting moment to hear your work out there, you know? And it was cool to just think, you know, what are other people thinking about this particular experience? And I wonder what the reaction will be. But still, you know, it sounded pretty good. I was, I was tempted to ask if I could, you know, hear it again. But obviously I'd be charged, so I didn't. <laughs> Connor kind of got to live the designer's dream. You see, or in this case, you hear some example of bad design in the wild. And then you get to fix it. But sometimes for sound designers, the challenge is not to revise a sound, but instead to create a brand new sound experience, one that never existed before. Connor got that assignment from Waymo. Waymo is Google's driverless car project. And the thing is, it's basically silent because it's an electric vehicle. So to make electric cars safer, 
the government requires car makers to create a fake sound for their engines. To say, okay, there's something coming towards me, right? The federal rules are super specific. The sound needs to play until the car hits 18 miles per hour. The sound has to have a certain volume. The sound has to include bass, mid, and treble octaves so that it's audible for people with some hearing loss. Really, the easy solution for all of this is white noise. But that's not a pleasant sound. So functionally speaking, that checks the boxes. But how can we do it tastefully that meets these particular requirements? So Connor's solution was to make a sound that matched the aesthetic of the Waymo car. Cute, bubbly, and friendly. And on top of all that, he designed it to sound like Google. So hey, these were composed in the key of G for Google, right? <laughs> so, so here's your G. Connor chose a progression of notes that mimicked the acceleration of a car. As a car increased in speed, the notes went up the scale. Again, it was bringing something familiar and human to a brand new behavior. Trusting a car to drive for you. A, B, C, D, right? So it just has this pleasant feel to it. And the final result sounded like this. The resolution, once it passes through all these different harmonics, is a G major. Right? Even though Connor's job is creating sounds, there are times when he says adding sound might not be the right answer. I often get clients looking at me kind of like with their head cocked because I'm talking myself out of work sometimes. But it's really about, you know, thinking long and hard about like, okay, does this product really need 20 sounds? Like maybe it could use three. Audio is a powerful tool, so you have to use it sparingly. Connor gives this advice for user experience designers. I often say that these experiences are made up of three components, visuals, haptic, and sound. And you don't always need to use all three. Because you don't need a sound on every button. That's actually going to drive annoyance um, for people. And it's actually going to drive people away from using products and apps. When's that start? Oh, my God. Next month? Wow. The other day, I was walking through the farmer's market in Union Square in Manhattan, grabbing an apple for my lunch. I pulled out my credit card. What's the minimum, what's the minimum charge for a credit card? $100. $100? American? Yes. <laughs> Not minimum. <laughs> $100. After I realize she's joking, she pulls out a little card reader. The sound it makes when my transaction is approved is pleasant, but not demanding. It got the job done. It's good design done right. The world of audio notifications reminds us that design is in a constant state of change. Design isn't even purely visual anymore. With the world of smart speakers and the vast array of audio notifications that have become a part of our lives, the total user experience now includes these sonic cues that we can't even see, and most of us barely notice. But just as with the visual world, the key to making audio work for us and to feel actually humane, that requires a design sensibility. It's a willingness to question why to try new ideas, to examine carefully how real people respond to those ideas, and to repeat that cycle over and over until the solution is right. So whether or not you can see it or hear it, it's all design.
next time on Wireframe. Years ago, the internet was full of bright colors, wild animation, and funky fonts. And now, every website looks like this. It's very white. It's very sans serif. It's very uh, uninteresting. And who decided our pictures would look good cropped in circles? I'd like to talk to that person. (laughs) Next week, we're talking aesthetic monoculture. Wireframe is produced by James T. Green, Amy Standen, Laura Morris, Mathilde Urfalino, and Abby Ruzica. Rachel Ward is our editor. Mixed and sound designed by Katherine Anderson. Original music composed by Billy Libby. Peter Leonard created our theme music. Special thanks to Ume Pandaya of Wayfinder. You can subscribe to Wireframe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Wireframe is a production of Adobe and Gimlet Creative. To learn more about the importance of sound in creating effective user experiences, check out adobe.ly wireframe. And to try out Adobe XD for yourself, download it for free at adobe.ly gimlet. I'm Koi Vin. Thanks for listening.